I was thinking about this day when my wife and I were getting ready to go out in the evening one time, and um, for some reason she was simultaneously baking a cake that she was planning to take out of the oven just as we walked out of the door and let it cool on the counter while we were gone. And um, we were going out for the evening, so it was kind of a, you know, a, a dress-up kind of thing, and, um, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, tux or sweatshirt, I get ready in about the same amount of time. But for her, it was taking a little longer, um, and, and so I was downstairs, you know, doing what we guys do, twiddle our thumbs, watch Sports Center, waiting, waiting, uh, and, um, <laughs> and, I, and I hear this call from, from upstairs, uh, hey, hey, Joe, would, would you go check the cake in the oven to see if it's done? Yeah, I'll go check the cake in the oven to see if it's done. And I remember going upstairs and I open up the cake and I open up the cake, I open up the, the oven and I look in at the cake and and I said, "Well, is it done?" She said, "Well, I thought that's what I asked you to do, you know, kind of a, a, just a little bit annoyed maybe." And and uh, I said, "Well, well, how will I know?" She said, "Well, what does it look like?" I said, "It's brown." You know, <laughs> I don't know. And, and so a few moments later, she comes down and goes to the cabinet and pulls out a toothpick and slides out the cake and pops it in the middle and pulls it out. It's done. How was I to know to do that, you know? I mean, I don't remember those instructions being given when you said, will you go check the cake? Um, I don't know how to know when a cake is finished. I do now, but I didn't know. How do you know when it's finished? Well, when the center is no longer a liquid. That's probably a good clue, right, that it's finished. If only all things were that easy. But they're usually not, are they? I mean, I mean, there are other things. I was at, I was at a friend's house uh, uh, last weekend or so, and, and he was cooking steaks on the grill. And he says, look at this thing I got for Christmas or a birthday or something like that. And they had this long fork. And he poked it in the middle of the steak, and it lit up blue. Oh, it's done. I'm like, oh, where has that been all my life, right? It, it, it's done. You just wait for the light to come when it's blue. You remember when you were a child in grade school, and you sat around and you watched that clock? And, and you waited for recess to come, and, and sure enough, right on the appointed time, bling, the bell would ring, and students would jump out of their desk and run to the front of the class and get in line. You could go out and play football or tetherball or hopscotch or whatever you played on the... You knew when it was time when the bell rang. But some decisions in life aren't nearly as, as clear. I mean, certainty is a little more slippery in other cases, isn't it? I mean, which stock should you buy? I mean, that's kind of a t- tough question, you know? What, what uh, job should you take or what college should you go to or what person should you marry or be involved with? I mean, these are all difficult questions. They, they don't come with little blue lights that go off and say, yeah, this is the right one. And in the gospel lesson, Jesus is asked a question this morning by some very smart, very religious people. Which is the greatest commandment? It's a test, though, isn't it? I mean, Matthew says to us that that these people, this lawyer, not really lawyer, not in the way that you think of lawyer, think theologian, think scholar, uh, think university professor type, comes to ask Jesus a question. And the question is to test him, to check him out, to see if he's really on the up and up. Now, you have to imagine a little bit more. When you imagine this person coming to, to Jesus, he's not, um, he's not even wearing you know, just a kind of uh, suit and tie, that's for sure. He's certainly not even just think about the garb of, of ancient Near Eastern world. You have to think of him wearing this little brown box made out of leather on his forehead. It has a leather strap that goes around. He's got this box right there in the front of his head, and he's got another it's got a strap that goes down his arm. It's this leather, brown leather strap. It goes down and it holds another little box right on his hand. 
This is what he looks like when he comes to Jesus. And so um, he has these little boxes on him, and in these little boxes are little pieces of paper. And on the little piece of paper, in the little box, is written this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's another little piece of paper in them. Anybody want to venture a guess as to what it says on that other little piece of paper? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. Two passages from Scripture are right, written right... I mean, you have to see Jesus seeing this guy coming and asking this question and saying, I don't know. What do you think it is? You know, What do you think the greatest commandment is? It's right there on your head. You know, it, it's even easier than that. Every day... Every day in Jesus' world, every pious Jew would have got up and said in the morning the first thing, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then they would follow it up with, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Every single day. It's not a real tough question. What's the greatest commandment? A school child could have answered this question in Jesus' day. But how do you know if you're keeping the greatest commandment? I mean, that's the tough question, isn't it? I mean, you know what the answer is. The real question is, how do you know if you're doing it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Cardia, in Greek, is where we get the word uh, cardiology. Um, all the words that have uh, uh, cardio related to the heart. It's that organ that pumps blood throughout your body. But it's a metaphor, isn't it? Jesus doesn't really mean love the Lord your God with all your heart that with this organ. He means love God with all of your affection. Every bit of your affection should be placed where? On God. Everything else is penultimate to that, that, that affection. And this is difficult. Because... Even one's children, or I know this is going to be difficult for you grandparents, even one's grandchildren have to be penultimate to that love that one has for God. Even one's spouse. It's right there in the vows, right? In, in the vows that you make to get married. You promise to take this person to uh, be your lawfully wedded husband or wife, to love, honor, and cherish, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, all that stuff. How long? Until we're parted by death. But your relationship with God is not ended with life. You know, if marriage is meant to be a lifetime, a relationship with God is meant to exist for eternity. And so one's love ultimately, one's affection, the object of your affection is to be on God as, as the primary, as the very first. There is no rival to this affection. And with all your soul, this is your breath. Nafesh in Greek. This great word, it kind of means your throat. You know, it's, it's, it's where you get oxygen. You should love God with, with all of your life. It's suke in the Greek where we get psychology, but suke is more than just your mind. It's all of your life, all of your being. And with all of your mind, all of your intellect. It means that you, 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 find, you find what you need to know most in life through this book. And not through the New York Times or the Today Show or even the um, intelligentsia of, of, of the many academies around the world. Where is the real wisdom in life found? It's found right here. This is what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God gets first place. He's not second place. He's not third place. He's not even tied for first place. 
The first commandment, you, you heard me read it just a moment ago. Uh, you should, um, the Lord spoke these words and said to Moses, I am the Lord your God, who taken you out of the uh, house of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. In Hebrew, don't bring any other god in my face. <laughs> I don't want to see a rival. I don't want to see a second option. I am your one and only. Every year at, um, at our church and churches all over, we have um, Stewardship Sunday. It's a, it's a Sunday when we remember that um, it takes money to run a church. Uh, it, it, you have to pay the light bill. Um, somebody has to pay, you know, whatever has to be paid, uh, the uh, the um, gas and water. And and if you don't, uh, if you don't give money, then the rector's children are going to get a pair of dark sunglasses and a tin cup, and uh, you know they'll be out uh, doing this, and they they won't really. But uh, you know, so we, we 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 think through. Oh yeah, we've got all these things to do, and and so we um, we take out our checkbook and say, yeah, I can I can I can swing this, and here's what we'll give, and and um, maybe even you figure it out on a percentage. I don't know how people. We'll do it, but you know, we think about all the things that we have to do, and that's great. It's wonderful. It's necessary, but it's not stewardship. Stewardship refers to overseeing what belongs to another. I want you to imagine something. Imagine you're going away for a trip for a couple weeks, and you call me up and you say, So, Joe, I'm going out of town for a couple weeks, and I'm wondering if you'd come by and water my plants and feed my cat. I don't know why you'd pick me. I hardly remember to feed my children, let alone a cat. So, um, you know, but you did. In a moment of weakness and foolishness, I was your best option. You call me and, and you, you say that and you go away. And so I go over and do the stuff and feed the cat and water the plants. And you come home two weeks later. And when you come home, you come in, the place is a mess. And there I am sitting there with my feet propped up in your lazy boy, watching your TV, drinking your soda, eating your food. And you say... Well, it seems you've made yourself at home, haven't you? You know, and, uh, and I say to you, what do you mean made myself at home? This is my place. What are you doing here? I mean, you would first of all think that I probably had lost my mind, right? You, you, the guy's going plumb crazy. We knew it was going to happen. Didn't realize it was going to be this soon. And, and so you would get a little bit worried. But, but what if I really began to believe that it was my stuff? I mean, how foolish would I be? It belongs to you. I'm, I'm looking over it for you. I'm keeping it for you. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you realize something. That you own nothing. You brought nothing into this world, and you'll take nothing out of it. Nothing. Nada. Not a single bit. It all belongs to God. He owns it all. He has given it to you to watch over. Now this is tangible and intangible. This is your intellect, your home, your bank account, the world you live in, the children you oversee, the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, the lives that you work, the people who are employed by you or the people that you work for. He has given this to you to oversee, to manage, to be a steward of. Now I don't think that this means that stewardship says so you can't have any fun with it. I don't think it means it at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Imagine you gave a child a gift. It was her birthday. And so you went out and you picked out a, a, a wonderful gift and you gave it to this child. And you said, here, this gift is for you. And she opened it up and she saw it and it was something she'd always wanted. And she was really happy with it but then said, here, take it back. It would be selfish of me to play with it. 
No, you would say, it's for you. I bought it for you. Play with it. It's enjoy. And if she didn't enjoy it, you could not have enjoyed giving the gift. Life is a gift. Even possessions are a gift. They all come from God. And He gives them to us, I think, to manage and enjoy. That it's okay to, to, to uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of one's labor and the gifts that God gives. But the corollary is also true. Imagine you gave the same little girl a gift, and she played with it all the time, and when anybody else tried to play with it, she said, you know what's coming, don't you? No, it's mine. And clutched it and held it and possessed that gift and wouldn't let anybody else share it. That is equally wrong. Gifts are given to be shared. So neither refusing a gift or hoarding a gift is a right response to the stewardship call. That you do both. It's striking a balance between enjoying and sharing. Between receiving and giving. There's a story about this uh, old Kentucky farmer who, who was telling to his friend, he says, um, he says, Leroy, if you had a million dollars, would you give me half of it? Leroy says, well, Billy Bob, you know I'd give you half a million dollars if I had a million dollars. He says, well, if you had a thousand dollars, would you give me 500 of it? He said, well, you know if I had a thousand dollars, I'd give you 500 of it. He says, well, if you had two hogs, would you give me one of them? Billy Bob says, well, you know I have two hogs. It's not right for you to ask that question. (laughs) How do you know when a cake is finished? Well, it's not liquid in the center anymore. And how do you know when autumn has arrived? Well, the tree's leaves start to turn color and they fall to the ground and you spend all afternoon raking them up. And how do you know you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, at least one way. You're a good steward of the gifts that he's given you.